Hey guys, welcome to our podcast, Please Advise. Let me start out by introducing myself. I am Gabby Nicola, and I was born in Ecuador, but migrated to the U.S. when I was only five years old. I have a bachelor's degree in business, as well as an MBA from SUNY Albany. It's a great day to be a great day, Gabby. Always, Charita. <laughs> I've lived in the U.S. my entire life, and the older I got, the more I became aware of social injustices that were going on in this country. Jurita, who will introduce herself in a little bit, and I met about a year ago, and the reason we became such good friends quickly was because we had these conversations about so many different topics that range from racism to wealth inequality to climate change, and these conversations would go on for hours, especially in a pandemic. We decided to start this podcast to get conversations going and keep people informed. Now, we know that there are many sources of information that do the same, but we think it would be refreshing to hear it from a point of view of two ethnic women. We kind of know what we're talking about, so please bear with us. Thank you. Thank you for that intro, Gabby. Um, hi, guys. My name is Jarita. I was born and raised in New York, where I then went to school at a fellow SUNY, Binghamton University. Go Bearcat! Yay. For <laughs> a bachelor's degree in financial economics and biology. As I grew up and I learned more about the world, from how certain things worked to the different circumstances that people faced, I noticed how the topics of social equality and equity were consistent themes, and I became passionate about learning more and expanding my knowledge in these areas. Like Abby said, we met back in 2019, and we became good friends through our shared interests. This podcast is kind of our way to concentrate our thoughts for more focused discussion about many of the items we already talk with each other about, and we hope others can find them helpful or at least entertaining as well. Thank you, Jarita, for that lovely intro. So to kick this podcast off, today's topic is advice from personal finance accounts on social media. How accurate are these accounts and should I be following what they say? Please advise. Gabby, I think that's a great topic. I've been seeing a lot more of these personal finance posts on Instagram, and I'm not sure if this is simply because of my personal Insta algorithm or there, if there has been a more broad uptake in the popularity of this type of content. Judah, I think it's the popularity of the content. You know, I don't think you're sitting there just looking at personal finance memes all day. I would, I would like to hope it's part of a general trend and not a reflection on, on what I like. But <laughs> regardless, personal finance is definitely a very popular topic on social media. I, I looked it up just now. There are over 1.1 million posts tagged personal finance on Instagram alone with several tens of thousands of posts under related tags such as personal finance for women, personal finance tips, personal finance blog. And that's not to say that this is a bad thing. It's good that people are interested in their personal finances and improving their financial literacy. And it's great that social media and modern technology have all this information so readily accessible. But like with everything else you see on the internet, you never know what's true or exaggerated unless you already know better or if you take the time out to do your own research and due diligence. Unfortunately, not everyone has the time to Google everything they see. And sometimes, I'll be honest, things just look convincing or you want them to be true. But there were a few posts we saw that contained information that either wasn't correct or didn't provide sufficient context to validate the advice they gave. So we thought providing more clarification and maybe some debunking would be beneficial. 
I love that point you made about social media. You know, you're right. Social media is everyone's favorite way of sharing personal pictures and videos. And, you know, it's everyone's favorite way of sharing jokes and particular memes. You know, I think social media and memes and these videos are a double-edged sword, right? Like the world could literally be on fire going through a pandemic and people will still find clever ways to, you know, choke about it. And, you know, I'm guilty at laughing at these sick memes, so I won't sit here and pretend that I don't. Gabby, I know you laugh at sick memes. You send me your sick memes. <laughs> Jada, we laugh at the sick memes. We send each other the sick memes. This is a team effort. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, memes are great and they're practical. It's a short caption and a funny picture below. Other times it's a short clip of, some of pulling their arms and shouting into a camera. Whatever the form of media, we can agree that it's an effective way when it comes to convincing people. This is especially true when the person conveying the message has a substantial amount of followers. However, the other edge of the social media sword is when memes and videos misinform people on topics that are not common knowledge. Druda, you and I have discussed this to no end, so we both agree that personal finance memes are one of the prime examples of such. What's worse is that Sometimes it's hard to differentiate satire from reality. You see so many videos and memes, and sometimes I can't tell if the person giving this advice is being serious or just kidding. I'll be the first to admit that if I didn't have prior experience in financial planning, I would honestly be one of those people who would just believe everything that's going on. I'm always seeing memes that give tax advice by encouraging people to have more kids or by telling them how to turn $10 into $1,000 in less than a week. Gabby, I can tell you how to turn $10 into $1,000 in less than a week. Buy GameStop. Oh, Judo, that's an offline conversation, okay? <laughs> you, you don't want the SEC to mark us right now. But, you know, it, it just really, it's crazy to me because people really are out here misinforming the general public. The first post that kind of sparked this whole idea was one that said, investing in your children and advocated for paying your children's chore allowance through investing in a Roth IRA account instead of paying them in cash, like I assume most parents do. Personally, my parents have never paid me for doing my chores or helping out around the house. Um, Gabby, can you relate? Um, I don't think there's a Spanish word for allowance. Um, you know, we get to live there because that's that's just what we do. I don't... <laughs> This is, an all, this is a foreign concept to me, Jada. <laughs> you know, language differences are just so fascinating because, you know, like how the Eskimo have, I think, you know, eight different words for snow. Yeah. I don't know the Chinese word for proud. So, <laughs> so it makes sense. It makes sense all across the board. Yeah. So, but, <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, did, I did have friends, you know, growing up that their parents did offer them monetary incentives or cash allowance for getting good grades and helping out around the house. So this post, I would imagine, is applicable to at least some people. The Instagram post I saw then goes on to say that investing in your child's Roth account while they're still a minor between the age of 10 and 18 years old will allow your child to have a tax-free and investment balance in the hundreds of thousands. We're talking in the mid-six figures. Now, I've seen this type of post more than once, honestly, across different formats. But the message stays generally the same. Open up a Roth IRA account for your child while they're young and continue to fund this account 
in their stead so that they'll have a nice tax-free balance waiting for them in retirement. Jada, you use the word tax-free, and I think that is, you know, very eye-catching to anyone who sees that. Agree. You know, that's been a very popular buzzword in terms of personal finance, tax-free. People have been using it as an attention grabber. To me, it just honestly kind of feels like clickbait at this point. Mm -hmm. But this specific post that I saw had been posted on Instagram by this personal finance account that had more than 628,000 followers. And they posted the same post twice, at least within November and in December. So a good amount of people were exposed to the advice that they gave. So let's first break down the good, the bad, and the ugly of this post. The bad and the ugly come in from the fact that it's telling you to fund this account for your minor child. To be eligible to contribute to a Roth IRA or even a traditional IRA, you have to have earned income. Per the IRS, earned income includes wages, salaries, and other employee compensation, such as tips, union strike benefits, and disability retirement benefits. While most of us can kind of immediately cross out the last two or three for our child, we have to realize that the first two don't apply either. Your 10-year-old clearing the table after dinner is not considered an employee in the way a waitress at a diner doing the same thing would be. To me, that was perhaps the most alarming inaccuracy or perhaps oversight of this post to imply that simply because the actions or the job responsibilities are the same, it qualified your child as an employee. Now, I know that there is a tax incentive that allows for small business owners to hire and pay tax deductible wages to their minor children, but within the context of this post, which did not make the specification, I wouldn't consider this as good advice for the average parent who presumably does not own a small business. That is not to say that everything in this post was wrong. If you really would like to give your child a head start on retirement funding, you're, you're able to do so once they are paid a taxable wage, most likely from their first job when they turn 15 or 16. The key would then to be keeping in mind the annual IRS contribution limit for that year. For 2020, going into 2021, this limit is $6,000 across all IRA accounts. Funding a Roth IRA account does allow for you to have tax-free growth on your investments. This is because you're funding the account with post-tax dollars, meaning that this money was already taxed as it came out of your paycheck. So as a retirement incentive from Uncle Sam, once invested, the growth on this money won't be taxed again. Drita, thank you for that lovely, you know, that really nice Roth IRA description. Would you mind just defining traditional IRA because you didn't mention it earlier? Of course, happy to, Gabby. So a traditional IRA, by contrast, is funded with pre-tax dollars, meaning that the contributions were already taken out of your paycheck prior to being taxed. You'll more likely see this as a line item on your paycheck. A traditional IRA allows for tax-deferred growth, meaning that the taxes are paid on withdrawal during retirement. Bringing it back to the Roth account, for a child or young adult, having tax-free growth allows for immense potential and as such is a wonderful opportunity. This is the good from the post. 
I'm glad that you brought up that there are posts out there that do inform and do tell people the correct things, but it feels like there are more posts that kind of just show the bad and the ugly side, as you mentioned earlier. You know, these posts include pyramid schemes, or should I say multi-level marketing. You know, these posts typically have some flashy headline, like how do I turn $10 into $1,000 or how to be an entrepreneur. And we'll typically have content like join all the others who quit their nine to five job to be part of our team or try a 10 week program that will guarantee business success once the 10 weeks are over. And it really just makes me sit there and think and, you know, I shake my head and I laugh. But at the same time, you know, I see 5,000 people liking this post or see this post have fire emojis in the comments. And it really makes me think. Now, my favorite memes are the ones that have the Wolf of Wall Street. Gabby, 5,000 likes on a Wolf of Wall Street meme? Those are rookie numbers. You got to pump them up. (laughs) Exactly. But, you know, that's still a lot of people who are still liking and following this advice. So, (laughs) Um, you know, you have Leonardo DiCaprio, who is the poster child for these Wall Street um, memes, for obvious reasons. And sometimes these posts will have captions like, I want you to deal with your problems by becoming rich. You know, you kind of just have to put your phone down and officially just walk away from everything. And, you know, the people who love using these memes are those finance bros. Gabby, if you were really about that life, you would know it's pronounced finance. Oh, thank you. As always, you're adding culture into my life and, you know, spice (laughs) and flavor. So thank you. (laughs) Um. So on a little side note, for those of you not familiar with the term finance bro, Urban Dictionary, the most reliable source out there, right next to Wikipedia, defines it as, quote, typically working on Wall Street, weeks of male privilege and boasts of his money and his super inflated job title. Outwardly very confident, douchey, but actually insecure and constantly trying to overcompensate for their shortcomings. Most have nothing going on outside of their work lives and fun doesn't exist without alcohol or drug use. They work for the sole purpose of making more money and then have moments of sadness when they realize money isn't everything, end quote. And, you know, you're probably thinking, you didn't have to read that entire quote. I also, why are you using Urban Dictionary? I love Urban Dictionary. You really woke up and chose violence today. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's to educate people. It's for educational purposes, Jada. <laughs> Not to hurt anyone. But, um... You know, it's something that, you know, we look at these messages that these memes have and what they're trying to convey is you're probably still poor because you're lazy and you haven't worked enough to be a millionaire yet. So please, if there's anything to take away from this is don't let some sad meme made by some sad person with a lot of free time and poor editing skills hurt your self-esteem. For example, to prove my point, I saw a caption by a self-proclaimed starter that began with, quote, I started small. At 19, I bought my first small apartment. In six months, I upgraded and bought the whole building and then increased rents, end quote. Gabby, we call that predatory, I don't know, landlording? It, it just doesn't <laughs> do right. Yeah, or, or legal, right? But whatever. Semantics. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but... The kicker of this caption is he really never tells us the secret to his success. Uh, You know, the caption actually ends up by saying, quote, I'm building wealth the old fashioned way, end quote. 
You know, this caption just fails to mention how he really was able to buy the original small apartment. Did the bank give him a loan? Has he been saving every penny since he's ever been given? Or, you know, was he given a small loan of a million dollars by his daddy? You know, you just these things, are we just got to question them. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I just want to say that money from your daddy is the traditional way to build wealth. But we can we can go into that. We don't have the time to unpack all of that today. <laughs> <laughs> so today, we, we do want to talk about how many people, I'm sure, would like to pass on wealth to their children, especially in a tax-advantaged way. Good news. There are other options out there specifically designed to do such. After securing your own financial situation, the first question to ask yourself is, would you, what would you like to transfer the money to your children for? Identifying this goal really helps to set the investment horizon for the vehicle we choose. Bringing it back to the post involving the Roth IRA account, if your goal is to help your children in retirement, helping them with making the full contribution limit of the year would be an efficient way to do so. However, more commonly, most parents look to fund their child's educational expenses instead. This can be done via a 529 plan, which is specifically a tax advantage savings plan towards education. These are typically state-sponsored, and some states even offer tax advantage for contributing to one. Good news about these types of accounts is that anyone can open and meaningfully contribute to one. Going back to our previous point where it seems that so much of the financial advice you see online is either created by or geared towards wealthier individuals, a lot of everyday people can have a 529 account. Gabby, one of the girls that you know you and I worked with, she actually was able to share the fact that a lot of her undergrad was paid with through a 529 account. You know, I love that you bring those two um, points up with the Roth IRA and the 529 plan. I feel like, like you mentioned, you know, everyday people aren't really exposed or have much knowledge or even know that these kinds of um, accounts exist. So I, I thank you. Thank you for mentioning that. And good for, good for her. She probably has no debt. <laughs> that. <laughs> it's her business, but I can confirm that she she was able to graduate college with less less financial burden than if she didn't have a 529 plan. I love that. I'm, I'm here for that. Exactly. And, you know, that's kind of what the whole point of this podcast is. It's kind of just offering and just exposing more everyday people to a lot of these investment and financial vehicles that otherwise I feel like we don't hear about. Right. This next account um, is, is less geared towards education. So another way that you can transfer assets and wealth to your children is through a UTMA or a UGMA account. UTMA stands for the Uniform Transfer to Minors Act, and UGMA stands for the Uniform Gift to Minors Act. These accounts allow you to gift minors assets that will be received once they reach the legal age of majority for the applicable state. As I kind of briefly mentioned before, the benefit of these accounts is that you're not limited to simply educational expenses. This is just more of a transfer account to your children. We can go further into both types of accounts at a later time, but the point for today is that there are definitely more efficient ways out there for you to provide for your children financially than to make a, an IRA account for them when they're 10. The point being that personal finance is such a wide and expansive field that a simple, how do I invest for my child? Question isn't one that can be thoroughly explained within a short TikTok reel to someone dancing to the renegade or a quick Instagram video. And it shouldn't be. 
There's nuances involved due to the various rules, usually tax-related, and a lot of them require professional experience in order to properly navigate them. That's not to say that this is rocket science. It, It definitely isn't. But it is imperative that we don't just take these finance accounts and blogs at face value, because there's definitely a lot of quote-unquote quick maths going on, more likely than not, just because it makes for better content. You know, a video that claims to make several hundred thousand dollars would certainly gather more attention than one that uses more realistic numbers like a hundred or a thousand dollars. To bring it all together, What Gabby and I hope to accomplish through these podcasts is we want to unravel and fact check a lot of these materials that we've been seeing a lot of on social media while also providing more validated advice that everyday people like you and I could use. Thank you, Jorita. You actually summed it up so nicely. Um, We hear every day that we shouldn't believe everything we see online and we think we're savvy enough to not believe it. Yet here we are. Like we mentioned earlier in the segment, personal finance is something people are not too familiar with. So it's easy to believe the charming, charismatic influencer that's giving us what sounds like good advice. They make it so easy in a short little video, and to a certain degree, it feels like it makes sense, but there are so many different layers that we really need to start peeling away and question. And Jurita, earlier you mentioned, you know, buzzwords, like tax-free. And you're right, that when we hear these words, it captures our attention, and it feels so appealing, and most times, too good to be true. However... We have to learn to question everything. We have to learn to dig deeper. It's also important to remember that everyone's financial situation is completely different. Advice that works for someone in a higher wealth class may not necessarily work for someone that's in a lower wealth class. You know, what works for you doesn't necessarily work for me. These get-rich-quick schemes and tax savings ideas are usually not for the general public. So if there's anything to take away from this entire episode is that... Please, please, please be super skeptical of any content you see on social media, especially when it comes to personal finance. And do your research before taking any advice you see online. Remember, this is your money. It seems obvious and elementary, but sometimes we all need a little reminder. So thank you for tuning in and listening. Please be sure to check out our second episode premiering next Monday, February 8th on Spotify. Thank you, guys. You can also find us on Instagram. Our username is Please Advise Podcast. And if you have any specific topics you would like to hear us talk about, please don't be afraid to let us know. See you all next week.